Hey, welcome back, you guys. Today, we are going to talk about how Alfred Winslow Jones started the first hedge fund ever. I've spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious fund managers around, and now I've decided to take the plunge and start my own fund. The real question is, how will I do it with no investors and without an Ivy League degree? This podcast is going to give you the answer. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we start and build multi-million dollar investment funds. I'm Bridger Pennington, and this is Investment Fund Secrets. Hey, welcome back to Investment Fund Secrets. I'm Bridger Pennington. So today, we're going to talk about the history of how the first hedge fund started. And so I was, I was, last week, I was thinking, like, I'm trying to, you know, we're talking about all different subjects. I'm interviewing different people in the fund world. And I said, I probably should go back and start to research and figure out the history of how the fund world started, like all the way back to the beginning of time, like <laughs> lords and serfs and getting money together to do crusades and stuff like that. So that's been kind of fun. I've been trying to research as much as I can back, but today's episode is specifically on the first hedge fund that ever started. And we're going to start there and, and maybe in, pre, in, in future episodes, I'll go back into maybe Lords and Surf's times or different how other funds were started originally. But today, this is a fantastic story of Alfred Winslow Jones of how he started the first hedge fund. And um, people like Sebastian Malby in his book, More Money Than God, Hedge Funds and the Making of the New Elite, um, have a, he has a whole chapter dedicated to Jones about his first hedge fund. Um, people like Warren Buffett, have, I've gone back and said he's one of the greatest investors of all time and um, is really the father of the hedge fund world. So Alfred was born, he's actually from Australia, moved to the United States um, and actually went to Harvard University in 1923. So he's in, in university in the mid-20s, the roaring 20s. And he, out of college, he kind of was a, a free spirit, sailed around the world, joined the foreign service. Um, and then he, he worked in the US embassy in Berlin during Hitler's rise to power. He saw all of that. Um, and then got married. And anyways, he ends up, um, at fortune magazine of all places. And I didn't, I didn't even know fortune magazine was that old, but they back in the 1940s, he was at fortune magazine. He started to write financial articles for them. So, and he was writing all different stuff about farm co-ops. He was talking about, um, statistics and statistics specifically was a new and not new, but it was becoming very popular within the public eye. And everyone was so interested in st stat statisticians and how they thought about everything and they could essentially predict the future with stats. It was really cool. And so he ends up writing a famous article called Fashions in Forecasting. And he talks about these new stock operators. They're called technicians back then. Every kind of stock traders were called technicians um, some places. And they had approaches to how they priced things, um, odd law statistics. And then they'd even do statistics on the Harvard-Yale football game. He wrote this whole whole article on it. And one of the things he, he wrote in there is he noticed that there were trends, there were um, stocks that were tied together that if one stock went up, the other stock would go down and vice versa. If a different stock went up, they would go down. And he thought, I wonder if I played these two stocks against each other to against essentially mitigate my risk if I could make money over time. And he works through this whole model and he says he finally establishes um, a small fund and he raises $100,000. And $40,000 was his own. So he raises, in, in today's dollars, I did the conversion, that's $1.7 million. And so he puts in, he had some money saved up, right? And he put in about 700 grand into it himself. So he raised, you know, had some money himself, had some skin in the game, which I tell everybody, when you start your first fund, 
put a lot of, a lot of your own skin in the game, prove the model out with your own money. And that takes a lot of stress off of you as the fund manager of losing other people's money because you're losing your own money too, right? All together. And so you're going to be on, on the game and it's easy to pitch investors when you have a lot of skin in the game, which he did for this first fund. So he puts his money in the first year, his fund returns 17.3%, just like crushes it. And he's like, oh my gosh, I got something here. So he goes on and he coins the phrase hedge fund because he was hedging against um, different stocks and different investments with each other. And he was the first guy to ever term this, this term hedge fund. Um, over the next 10 years, his portfolio just crushes it. Um, they outperformed the top performer in the, in the, that day was uh, Dreyfus, the Dreyfus fund. He beat them by 87%. Um, and in the next three years, since her, his first fund was, was started, the first hedge fund was started over 130 other hedge funds were started. This is at the same time as George Soros, quantum fund, Michael Steinhardt's Steinhardt partner started after this time period of seeing Jones start his first hedge fund. Um, and, uh, pretty, I mean, pretty incredible, right. To start the first hedge fund, he goes on, um, and he decides to take no management fee, which I tell everybody do not take a management feature at the, at your first fund, because you gotta just, you only take performance fee to just prove it to investors on your first fund. And they and first, you know, investors love that. And he said, I'm going to take, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a 20% of all, um, performance because this is the reason he did it. Cause that's now today, most funds do a two and 20 is a standard fund, 2% management fee and 20% carried interest. So he says, I'm going to take 2% of essentially the carried interest, um, because that's how, what F Phoenician, uh, captains did. They took one fifth of all the loot when they got any, you know, any type of money, they took a fifth or 20%. And so he said, I'm going to follow the Phoenician captains and do 20%. And that's how that came about. Like the 20% management fee came or the 20% carried interest came from him saying, I'm just going to follow captains from, from way back when in the Phoenician, um, um, I guess Phoenician pirates or Phoenician military, whatever they were. That's how he started and decided to do 20%, which I think is just, is just so cool. So Alfred Jones goes on, he runs his fund. It, he only lost money three of his 34 years by contrast. So the S and P 500 had nine down years during that same period. Um, and I mean, he just, he did really, really well in his fund. He finally in 1984 got out of the game after 30 plus years in the world and then transformed his fund into what he called a fund of funds. So there were so many other funds started. He said, great, I'll just, instead of doing stocks or commodities, I'll just pin funds against each other. Cause I know some types of funds in certain, you know, market expansion, these types of funds would make money. And in market contraction, these types of funds would make money. And he would hedge the two funds against each other in what's called a fund of funds. Um, which is pretty cool. So then he, he finds this, is, I, and this part I think is so funny and just brilliant. I love it to death. So he leaves the fund world. He kind of pulls out of the fund world. He wants to retire, wants to do philanthropic work. And he gives up a ton of time to the Peace Corps. And so he's traveling around the world. They're helping and they're, the Peace Corps, um, is sending volunteers to different countries. And he proposes an idea to use hedging in the Peace Corps. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he goes, we can't just put all of our, we're investing volunteers into these other countries. They need to do something back to, you know, to hedge the risk of creating an inferiority complex among these developing countries. So he said, what we should do is when we send a person to Mongolia, they should send a volunteer back to the United States to help with our, you know, poverty and poor people. 
That's how sold he was on this term and idea of hedging. He wanted to hedge volunteers in the Peace Corps. That's how like he was just so sold on this idea because obviously he'd made tons of money and in all aspects of his life was trying to hedge, which I think is just freaking incredible. Um, and so a, a lot of lessons learned from Alfred Winslow, Winslow Jones. I gave you, gave you kind of the brief summary from him, but um, he, I, I love his story because he, he's a smart guy, really smart guy. He, he got a PhD in sociology, right? Wasn't a finance guy. He came up with one niche of which now is hedging, which is now a huge niche, not even a niche anymore, but he came up with that. It was a, it was a niche for the time. Is it niche or niche? Uh, anyways, I say niche. He came up with this niche and he decided to put his own money in, got a few investors. He put, he put about, he put 40% in, got investors and tested out his theory. It did well. And he kept going with it. Right. In my fund right now, I run a debt fund. And we do certain types of loans to entrepreneurs. I found it a really good niche. We only do, they're less, they're about four to five weeks long, usually these loans. Um, they're super small, less than less than 30 grand a, a pop. Um, and we get about, after fees and points and everything, we end up getting about a 15 to 20% return on each one of those. And so I found this little niche. And we only, we don't do public advertising. We only do it with some certain clients. They have to hit certain qualifications that we found are lowers our default rate a ton. Um, I've done these for over two years and we have a huge return, like, like a massive return on average IRR right now on a dip on a loan is like 135%. Um, and our, our cash on cash return to our investors are is last year was about 54%, right? This small little niche, like we've just crushed it. I do not dabble at all in the markets. Like I'm not going to go trade Forex or commodities or stocks because I just can't, I just have no idea what I would be doing at all. Right. I don't, I don't know the first thing about trading, um, or doing real estate or doing, you know, I just stick to my niche. And that's why I suggest a lot of people do is you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be the smartest guy on Wall Street. That's why people come to me and they get mad. They go, Bridger, how do you think that we can compete with people on Wall Street? And I was like saying, don't compete with Wall Street. Don't compete with Sequoia Capital right? Do something totally different. Go find a niche, a small, small niche. I found a niche in, in debt financing. Um, another guy I talked to, he found a really good niche in senior assisted living. Another guy I talked to, he found a really good niche. He would just convert in one area of the country. He's going to convert single family homes to duplexes. That was it. He doesn't do triplexes, doesn't do fourplexes, doesn't do anything bigger. He does single family homes that are less than like 50 grand a house, turns them into a duplex and he can sell them for a great return. Bam. Like that's an awesome fund. Go raise money. Investors love that. Investors love a niche. They don't want, I mean, unless you're this huge wall street guy that has five Harvard degrees, they're not just going to throw money at you for people like us that are entrepreneurs that are playing the game that have to be scrappy, find a little niche, exploit it, put your money in first, show how you're getting a huge return. And that's where raising money gets easy. People always ask me, Bridger, how do I raise money? How do I get going? That's when raising money is the easiest part because you have an amazing product that's going to kick out a great return. And it's, it, it's like oobs, it, it zoobs out of your soul to tell people about it because it's so great and money just flows to you and you get your first three investors in and guess what? Those three investors, they get, you get them a good return. They're going to tell their friends that everyone loves to brag about their investments. They're going to tell their friends and their family and their brother-in-law. And those guys are going to call you and those gals are going to reach out to you and you're going to get more money and more money and grow over time. And if you can just start with a niche and start small, you can actually do this. That's why I am so sold on this fund 
concept and fun world because I've been able to, I've seen my dad do it in, in real estate. And it's so funny. Like for instance, I'll tell you a quick story with my dad's with about being niche is they, they, they do multifamily properties, um, office buildings. They've barely expanded to, and now senior citizen living. And they tried one hotel, right? I mean, they've got 3000 employees. They're huge. They manage over $20 billion of real estate right now. They tried one hotel. They're like, we know real estate. Let's do a hotel. They tried a hotel. They've lost like a ton of money. They just had to write it off, sell it. And they're like, okay, we're never doing hotels again. They just, it, it, it's just funny how they, they've even have to stay niche at their level, $20 billion. They have to stay niche to multifamily B class apartments. And they're starting to dabble in other stuff, but that's their bread and butter, right? Um, student housing. They've tried a few student housings. Didn't work at all for them. 3000 employees, $20 billion. Couldn't figure out student housing and other people. That's all they do is student housing, right? Um, what I'm trying to say is find your niche and exploit it like crazy and just stick to that niche. Um, anyways, love you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The history of starting a hedge fund is, is pretty fun. If you guys are want to learn more, want to reach out to me, find me on Instagram, Bridger underscore Pennington. That's the easiest way to connect with me. Um, reach out. I love to, I answer all my DMS and uh, I'd love to answer your questions and maybe even bring you on the show and answer your question live, whatever you want to do. Um, I'm pretty open to it right now. So anyways, love you all. Peace to the next episode. Hey, what's going on? I know a lot of you out there are starting funds or thinking about starting funds and something I was so grateful for was having mentors. When I started my first fund, I had people to turn to and to ask questions. And so what I've decided to do is make the same thing for you. So what we've done is compiled a lot of interviews, things that I've learned, my personal pitch decks that I've used to pitch investors and put it all into what I call a mini vault. So in there, I deep dive into Forex funds, into real estate funds, how to structure them, how to structure deals, how to find investors. And I try to go deep to help mentor you to help you start your first fund. And in addition to that, we have a private members group on Facebook that fund managers are getting together on there and talking and working through problems together. So this is interesting to you. If you wanna get involved and get some help right off the ground, go to investmentfundsecrets.com for less than a hundred bucks. You can get started and get into the mini vault. And I would love to see you in there on the Facebook group and talk with us. Thanks. See ya.